We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What is up? The Bronx Pinstripe Show. We've got a big episode with you because of all the Yankees news, Starlin Castro trade and some other trades. We're going to be recording with a Cubs podcast, IVMV, who you guys have heard in the past. We talked with them just as the baseball playoffs were starting, but uh, we're uh, recording with them later in the evening and uh, that'll be the second half of this episode. But Scott, what's up, man? It's been busy. Yeah, it has been busy. It was a busy week. We had a lot of, I think, good news. I think Brian Cashman has done some some good work. He definitely had a couple of things that were head scratchers, but 
I don't believe that he is complete and uh, completed his trading and all the moves that are going to be continuing, I think, after the deadline are going to make everything uh, just make a little bit more sense. I think Cashman does have a plan and, you know, it's, it's very obvious what he's doing and it's getting younger. So I'm excited for, for what he's doing. Uh, I think he's done a great job so far. Are you sad? Am I sad? No, I'm not sad. Well, Why would I be sad? Ref Snyder! Oh, that's true. That's true. You know, I'll tell you what. I think the whole, uh, like a lot of the premise behind Ref Snyder was one, anti-Steven Drew. And and two, it's a, it's a young guy who uh, gets to be in the lineup on a daily basis, play with Didi, and build our infield. And while it's not Rob Ref Snyder, and that does sadden me a bit, the fact that Starlin Castro is a three-time All-Star, 25 years old, and now he's our second baseman for the the long-term future. I mean, he's controlled till I think what 2019, something like that. That's that's exciting. So it's 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 a very similar situation, and this is a proven commodity. I think Starlin Castro is probably Rob Refsnyder's ceiling. You know, I, so I think I think this is a, a great deal. Oh yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I know we've been calling for Ref Snyder to play for over or a year at this point but that was because he was the best option and the most exciting option they had up until now obviously Castro is better than Ref Snyder is at this point and it doesn't mean that Ref Snyder's career with the Yankees is done we can talk about that more but um I would overall agree with you that I, I like the move that that Cashman and, and like you said trying to get younger right that's the trying trend. to get younger that's, that's the, the trend. that's the that is the name of the game right now young guys young guys can play baseball better than old guys the Yankees are old in a lot of positions. They're also young in a couple of positions, but positions like shortstop and uh, second base and, and catcher, middle middle of the diamond players need to be young. They need to be athletic. You can stick an old guy at first base and get away with it, but can't stick an old guy up the middle because you're going to get burned that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what he did. So I'm uh, I'm excited to talk more about it and get into all the uh, the happenings in the winter meetings. But um, other than that. Had a, had a pretty busy weekend with uh, just all sorts of stuff. I'm doing like a million things to my house. We're, we're doing a whole first floor renovation. We have a new fence going up. It's like all sorts of homeowner stuff that's, that's just exciting for me. New appliances. Oh, baby, new appliances. <laughs> so there's uh, lots, of, lots of cool stuff going on there. And then my Jets won today. They, they didn't win. They dominated. It was just a, a, another back-to-back Would you terrific performances. Tennessee. Yeah, that's right. Two terrific performances back to back. The defense has really, really stepped up. I mean, they're just playing well, uh, it is, some good football right now. It is now. the Titans. That's fine, but they're, the thing is, is that they're putting complete games together, and that's the beautiful part about it. And uh, honestly, Ryan Fitzpatrick has hit another level. This dude has been unbelievable. That's that's what three touchdowns last week, three touchdowns this week. You cannot ask. This is the best quarterback play the Jets have had since, since shoot maybe Brett Favre. You know, for half the season, they've got to he, resign him, right? Oh, no doubt. No. There's no doubt about it. He's going to be the guy, and they'll, they'll see if they can develop, um, you know, the kid from uh, the kid from Texas, Baylor, uh, and and you know to to be the quarterback in the future if that's yeah. the case. But I mean, it's not like Fitzpatrick's an old dude. I mean, he's he's still relatively younger for quarterback standards, and you know he's got a he he does well in the system. That's he's proven that. So now he's, he's got turned, weapons. I mean, yeah, Marshall and Decker, two thousand yard receivers. That's something yeah. the Jets haven't had in my lifetime, at least. Yeah, well, and this, you know, over the past two weeks, you've seen the running game turn into Chris Ivory running for 100 yards, and then also Bilal Powell now has a role as a, a catch, a catch, a pass catching running back out of the backfield, and he's been phenomenal at it. Touchdowns in the last two games, really hitting his stride. So the whole team is really starting 
starting to click, and I'm excited about With it. With KC kind of surging, though, you guys need to get to 10 wins probably. Uh, no, that's not, not relatively true. If you look at the wild card now, we are tied with Pittsburgh, but we're at eight and five. Everybody else is six and seven. So we're tied with KC. We bo- we're both in right now with a wild card. So Pittsburgh's the other team, and I can't remember what the tiebreaker is there. So uh, we do have to keep winning, though. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. The Patriots got a game tonight. We're recording this Sunday instead of our normal Monday so we can get that stuff in with Ivy Envy. But yeah, Patriots are playing tonight. I think Gronk is back, which is huge. We'll see. I just want him to get healthy for the playoffs because that's that's the key for them right now. I, I would obviously love to get the number one seed, but but if they're not healthy, they're not going anywhere. So that that's that's first priority. Um, that's true. I'm going against Tom Brady in my fantasy playoffs tonight too. Uh, I have a pretty decent lead right now, but I, I, I could really, I would really appreciate if he would just stop at three touchdowns if at all possible. I mean, the Houston defense is no joke. No, and there's a lot of expatriates on that on that coaching staff too. So you'd yes. think that they would have some idea of what's going to be going. And down. Will Fork, Will Fork is playing. I mean, I don't think he's a big part of their team, but he can at least give them some insight. He can help scheme, yeah. I mean, Romeo Cromel is their defensive coordinator, right? Uh, he's a Belichick guy, and O'Brien, so, O'Brien's, head and coach. then O'Brien's, a, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of New England blood down in Houston on that team. So O'Brien, maybe it'll be a relatively close game. O'Brien was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots for a while, so he'll certainly be able to coach up that defense, give them pointers on how to stop Brady and stuff. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We maybe Brady see. can I, lose. Oh, maybe can, Brady can lose three in a row. It'd be I, amazing. I don't think that's happened. <laughs> no, I don't think it has. Which so, I mean, I, from all there's the, a first for everything. For all the crazy things, stats about Brady. I mean, that is one of the most crazy ones that he's never lost three games in a row. Until tonight, until everybody's listening to this and the Patriots have lost. I can't stand these Sunday and Monday night games though. I feel like an old man. I'm just by by 10:30 at night and it's halftime. I'm just like, God damn! I want to go to bed. Just right. why can't you put them on at four o'clock? I know, I know. Next week starts the Saturday games too. So which is which is a little better, I guess, because I don't have to wake up for work the next day. Yeah, I like Saturday games. The Jets play. Who do they play? They play on uh, Saturday. Cowboys, the Cowboys. Cowboys. They're playing the Cowboys on Saturday night, so that'll be fun. I got a big day next Saturday. Yeah, what's that? Well, I'm going to see Star Wars. Oh, okay. Are you a Star Wars guy? Yeah, I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not like a Star Wars guy. Like I know everything about it, but I've seen the movies a hundred times. Yeah. Um, I, I made my wife just watch the trilogy, so so she got exposed to it. I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I mean, the first three movies I love. It's probably one of my favorite trilogies of all time it's classic the um, first three made is that the first mean? three made yeah not yeah the, i'm not, not the into the, the later ones to tell you the truth i mean no they 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 sucked yeah the 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 first the new three movies are a joke and it's kind of sucks that they were added onto the onto the originals but i think the new ones are going to be pretty good at least the trailers look awesome they do, and they have a lot of the same characters, uh, even the same actors. Yeah, Han, I mean, Harrison Ford is in it, Carrie Fisher's in it, and I know Mark Hamill makes an appearance. I don't know how big of an appearance. Okay. So, so it's the, yeah, it's the original cast. Um, nice. Not the original does it, does cast. It, is it released point. on Saturday? Is that, no, is that like the uh, you know, midnight at Thursday or whatever? I'm not I'm not going to go wait in line and get the first showing. But not, You're not going to be in costume? <laughs> I will not be in my Darth <laughs> Vader costume. You won't be on stilts in a Chewbacca costume? The thing I think I love the most about the Star Wars um, movies was just having the, the toys as a kid, though. Because, you know, having the Millennium Falcon and all that stuff when I was eight and yeah. nine years old, that, that was probably the peak for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I still have like a box of like little figurines. Oh, I got uh, Star Wars figurines in my class. I actually just found them. Uh, there, I just ran into them looking for something else. And um, so, yeah, I mean, 
I'm, I'm a fan of them. I'm excited. We're going, we're, we're going too, but we're going the day after Christmas. My family, my brother-in-law got tickets to uh, IMAX in uh, the IMAX 3D version of it in, in Jersey. Nice. Um, so we're all going to go and, uh, and do that the day after Christmas. So I don't fun. trust myself to not find spoilers if I wait a whole week, though. Yeah, I, I won't. I don't care that much <laughs> i'm excited for the reason i had to get i had to get bevan on board with all this stuff so she could understand what was going on you know, so she had never seen him she had in. never seen him she had never seen it no see that's I mean, weird to me i'm checking boxes here we did all the star wars uh, a couple nights ago we watched christmas vacation because she had never seen it i was like what, what is wrong with you space balls never had seen it we I mean, watched that, that. i can understand that a little bit more <laughs> i like space balls. i like space balls but if it's what is it on TV? Maybe once a year, and you're not going to throw that on if you haven't, if you don't know what it is. Spaceballs. Anytime it's on, I can't, I can't move the oh, channel. I, it's one of my all-time stuck. favorite spoof movies. But yeah, um, to not ever see this—that's why whenever I come across somebody who's never seen the Star Wars movie, it's it's just really a, a question of how, right? And her brother owns the box set. Explain that he's a big fan too. Those I are movies like that it. your that as parents you should show your kids. It's right. it's like a responsibility you have as a parent, I think. There's yeah, a few so. movies like that, and I think Star Wars is one of them. At least I will be showing – there's two things at least I know I will be uh, showing my kids. That's Yankees games and the, the original Star Wars movies. Very cool. I want to get something off my chest, if you don't mind. Okay. I am so sick because with all the – hot stove stuff going on. It's really important to follow all the beat writers, you know, Buster only Ken Rosenthal, um, all the baseball guys on Twitter to get the latest news. And I'm just so sick of all the Twitter trolls retweeting old tweets, making up fake accounts, get a freaking life, dude. I, I cannot tell you how many times I get things retweeted onto my timeline about fake reports of guys signing or fake, fake things about guys, you know, I, there was one recently, I think somebody retweeted an old tweet from John Heyman that um, Marcus Stroman failed the drug test. And I think it was from 2013. It's just annoying. Do you not find that annoying? Yeah, I just – so when I'm on Twitter, I'm not on Twitter under my personal account that often. I just I just don't – I don't find the time to do it. So I'm on, I'm on Bronx Pinstripes more than anything. And because there are so many people right. on there, I actually don't even go into the timeline. I'm usually in like lists and like oh, – yeah. and then just interacting with people. So I don't see a lot of that stuff. Well, I, re- I rely on Twitter to get news, especially right. for stuff like the hot stove or, or the trade deadline or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And Twitter, tro- Twitter trolls ruin it. No, I get it. I've seen a lot of them. I see them on, on, on Instagram a lot too and it, it, it just gets annoying, you know. Um, but I, I think the way I filter through it is I have a, you know, I'll have a list of, of the guys that I trust and I'll, look, I'll pay attention to a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I so, should really get around to doing that. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. It cuts through the noise. You know it's like 16-year-old kids too just messing around. Yeah, that's. I mean, it is what it is. That that's they're they're bored and doing things, probably that we would have done when we were sixteen years old too. So yeah, except we didn't have the internet then. They have Twitter and we didn't. Yeah, growing up with the internet must be weird. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I'm not. Gonna, I'm glad I wasn't in college with you with with phones and Facebook and all that. I am. Thank God there were no cameras on phones when I was in college. Yeah, my generation's like the last one. The last generation to know what it was like to be a kid without. Without the internet and cell phones and all that stuff. Yeah, my first cell phone I think was when I grew, when I was my last year in college. Now was when it was it was a flip phone. Yeah, just playing snake and stuff. Just playing snake, just doing all sorts of stuff. Killing, just, killing time in class. Ki- killing time. All right, 
let's get into some of the happenings over the last week with the Yankees. We will talk about, obviously, in length with the cash out trade, but first want to touch on the Justin Wilson trade, which was pretty surprising, actually. So the Yankees traded Wilson to the Tigers for two minor league pitchers, Luis Kessa and Chad Green. I'm not even going to pretend to know who these guys were before four days ago, but they're essentially mid-level AAA pitchers who can provide the Yankees, you know, starting pitching depth where if they need to call a guy up for a long man or to, to have a spot start or something like that. Um, to trade a guy like Justin Wilson for that was pretty surprising because I feel like Justin Wilson had a pretty big impact on the team last year. So I thought it was also surprising when I saw who the, who the deal was for and what we gave up. I thought the, the value was – I didn't know enough about these guys. The one interesting footnote about one of the guys, the Luis Sessa kid, is the one of the, the main pieces that was traded from the Mets to the Tigers in the <clears throat> Cespedes trade. Yeah, I saw that. So, so that's an interesting piece of it. So obviously people, you know, he's, he's a guy that people are looking at and, and was coveted to a certain point. But, you know, listening to what Brian Cashman says about these moves and it, it goes along with the theme that we've seen and what he's been talking about and getting younger, this was an organizational depth move. This was a depth move to get stronger in the starting pitching in, on the AAA, the AA on the, in the minors, uh, just to have more depth um, and young guys who they believe that they can develop. But from what from what Cashman was saying, they have a lot of faith in these two guys that that they're going to be taking another step in in the right direction and 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 be positive, uh, positive make positive commitments to the organization in the near future. So couldn't couldn't they have done that without trading Justin Wilson though? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's available. And and the other, if you look at it, Justin Wilson was was extremely effective. He started losing velocity towards the end of the se- season, but who the hell didn't on our in our? Yeah, I mean, bullpen, our, right? our our bullpen set the record for most innings pitched. Yeah, so everybody started fading a little bit. Uh, so it, I I really can't use that against him. But you know, obviously they have faith in the guys that are there now. I mean, this move would not be made if that wasn't if that wasn't the case. So. You know, they have faith in the guys. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about the guys that came up at the end of the year, the the unnamed AAA bullpen, basically, that was just, you know, there was there was a running bus that was going back and forth to Scranton. Yeah, they were all the putrid. Right. But these guys were also getting a lot of experience at the end. You know, these guys were probably not ready for what they were, but they were thrown into the fire and they got a lot of big league experience. And that goes a long way, I think. So, you know, obviously Rothschild and Cashman and Girardi saw enough out of some of these guys and, you know, on the AAA level as well. They're getting good information about these guys and, and positive feedback from a lot of the, the guys who are there. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. But there's definitely faith in some of these guys. You know, that's my understanding from the from the uh, from the front office. Especially in September, Wilson was the go-to guy out of the bullpen before Batances and Miller. Because Shreve pitched himself out of that. Right. Um, I guess Warren was there too, but I do, I just disagreed with how they used Warren down the stretch. Um, Wilson was trusted by Girardi. And he pitched really well, actually. Um, and now if you're looking at it, that's a lefty out of the bullpen. Guys that they could have fill in for that next year. Obviously, Chase and Shreve, who we hope... Does not uh, choke in the second half next year. Hope he can be more like the first half Shreve than the second half Shreve. Um, James Pazos, who pitched a uh, couple times down the stretch for the Yankees. I didn't really see much out of him. That'll get me excited. And obviously Jacob Lingren, who we forgot about because he got injured, I think, in May. Well, and I think Lingren's a big piece because Lingren was... 
you know, before he got injured, was was a guy that they were really going to be relying on, and got it was it was very highly touted coming out of the minor leagues, and was a guy that was going to be a big part of the bullpen for a long time with this team. So I really I, I see him stepping into that level. Obviously, he's coming off of an injury, so we don't know how. I mean, you never know how someone's going to respond. And he when only they has come a handful an of major league innings. He so does, it's not like but, he's an. Ex- I mean, he's not experienced at the major league level. Essentially, next year will be his rookie year for the Yankees if he's on the twenty-five man roster. That's true. That's true. And you know, Pazos, uh, they obviously like him. They they had they've seen enough of him that they like. So you're going to see these guys battling uh, to to fill a lot of these spots. At the same time, I would not be I would not be surprised if Cashman's making some more moves to to strengthen uh, the, the, either the starting rotate rotation, the back end of the rotation, or you know the middle middle relief roles. I mean, we we see a guy like. <clears throat> Um, you know, taking Warren's spot, we'll talk about this trade more, but like a Brian Mitchell is a guy that I think they're ready, they think can take the next step, you know, come coming back, uh, you know, into 2016. So I think he's a guy that we're going to see, you know, kind of slot into a bigger role and, and possibly into that Warren role. So yeah, if I we'll were see. Cashman, if I were Cashman, I would be looking all over the place for a seventh inning guy, essentially. Um, assuming you keep Miller and Batances, which I would now be shocked if they traded Miller Especially it would have the to loss be a, of Wilson. King's ransom. Yeah, it would yeah. have to be a King's ransom. Uh, because if you were to trade Miller now, I mean, you're really depleting your bullpen. You basically only have Batances and a bunch of question marks. Right. Um, but what I was saying is, you've got Miller, you got Batances, you not, then you have a bunch of guys, and you don't know what they are. You just figure law of averages, 25, 40 per, 25 to 30% of them will work out, right? So just collect a bunch of them. So if that's, I if I were possible. Cashman, I would just get a bunch of guys and, and see what works, play around with it in the beginning of the year. I don't want to have to be playing around with it in August and September like they were doing last year. Well, and you could we've seen many, many, many times in Major League Baseball where relief guys come out of absolutely nowhere and so and have great seasons. I mean, of honestly, just, Justin Wilson is probably one of those guys coming with Pittsburgh when he came up. I mean. He he kind of came out of nowhere and and did what he and did what he did and, and had success. Guys find success in certain roles later in their career. You know, transition starters. There's there's just guys who could pop up out of the woodwork and be effective for you in a bullpen. So, you know, I, while I don't think it's a it's it's it kills our bullpen by any means. It was definitely a, a strange move. But if you're looking at what he was trying to do and what he's been trying to do, and that's get younger and provide more organizational depth. I also talked to some of the guys. At uh, pinstripe prospects, they're also, you know, kind of getting this as an organizational depth move because the depth in the starting pitching was was probably one of the weaker spots of the Yankees farm system. So this is an organizational depth move that helps in the future and helps them, you know, bring guys along maybe faster and, and can help, uh, you know, a little bit sooner. I get it. I get that part of it. I'm just thinking maybe they traded a piece that was too important to them off the major league roster. For, for next season to add guys that, I mean, again, are, are just depth guys. Um, I, I just think that you can get depth guys in other ways. But obviously... Well, they're young depth guys that, that are being developed. And, and obviously they saw something that these guys could p- very possibly take that next step. So, you know, by calling it just depth for the bullpen or for the minor leagues, I, I would be... I would be just careful with the way we're saying that because I think they have more potential is what they're seeing, right? So it's not just like, hey, this guy's a depth guy and that's what he's going to be. He's going to be in the road or he's going to be in the um, you know middle relief guy and that's his that's his his max, that's his ceiling. I don't think that's what they see. I actually think they see more potential in these guys. I, I mean, clearly, <laughs> why else would they have done the trade? So, um, 
All right, some other uh, baseball news, I guess, around the league. And we'll get this more from Corey when we have him on. But the Cubs made two huge signings with Zobrist and Hayward. Um, and it was interesting with that Hayward, which I think I tagged you in a tweet, how he's got two opt-out clauses in his seven-year or eight-year contract. And you kind of alluded to this on our last podcast about the trend of contracts, right? And how teams are going to start giving them more opt-out clauses because these these 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year deals are, are just absolutely ridiculous. Who knows what a guy is going to be after that length of time. So the opt-out is kind of the new trend. Right. I just think they're going to be, you know, what we talked about last time. And I think, you know, we're going to start seeing more of this type of thing. And just just front office being more creative with these contracts. Um, you know, when we saw we were one of the one of the contracts we were talking about that kind of brought all this up was the Stanton contract. How long was that contract? Twelve. I forget. Okay, twelve years. But in essence, it's like a, a I think a five or six year contract because of the because of the opt out. Yeah, clause. he had an opt out clause somewhere in the middle of it. I don't remember exactly when. So that's what we're seeing now. It, can it burn the team? No doubt, because these are player these are player opt outs. So it's basically the players taking advantage of of the front end of the money and then and then turning it into another contract. That's right. what they're if trying the, to do. That's that's the point of it. If the player sucks, he's not going to opt out. Exactly. So that's when it, that's when it can hurt the the team itself. But you know, I I, I this is what I, I think is going to continue to happen. I think we're going to see more, um, you know, like signing bonuses. I think we're going to see more deferred money. We're going to see more opt out clauses. I just think they're going to be more creative with these contracts to lock in guys and 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 make them more attractive um, in different ways. Um, I mean, those were two big fish off the free agent market. There's kind of now dwindling down as the as the winter meetings go, I think Cueto is really the biggest guy still out there. I guess Cueto and Cespedes. And Justin Upton. I mean, we haven't heard anything about oh, Justin totally Upton, which I'm about, very surprised about. I forgot about him. Yeah, like, we literally, heard... literally forgot about him. Because <laughs> we, we haven't heard anything about him. I mean, if, you, if you're following these beat writers, and not the fake ones, the real ones, you're, you're not hearing anything about Justin Upton, which to me was, was kind of surprising because – you know, I think he's a great bat. I think he's a great asset to a team. Everywhere he's gone, he's done well. He's a he's a power right-handed guy with speed. He's kind of a five-tool guy, um, and he, you know he's he's going to be expensive. But is he going to be more than Cespedes? Probably not. So I'm I'm very curious to to you know just hearing hearing that the Orioles are giving the amount of money that they've offered to Chris Davis is so surprising to me. Biggest contract in team history. I just don't believe he's worth it. I really oh, of don't. Of course he's not. Worth I mean, it. if you think about the year before that when he didn't have his Adderall, the dude was hitting like a buck fifty. I mean, it was it was something. It was below the Mendoza line. I'm pretty sure. Listen, the guy can mash. He can absolutely hit the ball a mile. Right, but, but he's, he's Adam Dunn. That swing is not suited long term. He's gonna yeah. he's gonna not be good when he's getting older. He's gonna be swinging through a lot of balls. Um, I would not touch that guy. Yeah, no doubt. Brady Anderson wants that contract so badly. He wants to be here now so the Orioles can Brady give him the Anderson. biggest deal. So <laughs> what a joke Brady Anderson was. <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know. I, if I'm looking at those numbers, I feel like the numbers that the Orioles were trying to offer uh, Chris Davis is 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 definitely. Enough to get a Justin Upton, and to me, a Justin Upton would be a hell of a lot better of a of a, of a player in on my team than than Chris Davis. So I don't really get that, but yeah, it's been very quiet. And you're right, two of these big guys, like Hayward, I think is overvalued. Um, Zobrist, he's got a great value just because he's so he's he's a winner. Uh, you can't you can't really you know put a monetary value on winning, and the fact that that he's going to bring a lot of 
um, you know, veteran leadership to that young team, I think is going to be extremely valuable too. Plus he's back with the, the, crazy, the crazy professor. Yeah. yeah. No, Zobris is great for them. And so is Hayward because what, what were two things that we saw was a glaring weakness or what is one thing we saw with the Cubs that was a glaring weakness against the Mets? They couldn't make contact. And both of those guys are contact hitters. And defense. I mean, don't forget, hey, we're, they're, they're both plus defenders, that's and true. that's going to help them out as well. Because when they put Schwarber in yeah. left field, I mean, he looked lost. Running around with his head cut off out there. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's definitely going to help them out. Um, <clears throat> um, did you see that baseball sent out new parameters or new recommendations for parameters for safety? Did you see that this week? I didn't see that this week. I remember, them being, I remember it being talked about during the course of the season that this was going to happen. So what was the actual, what was the, so the they, they're now recommending all stadiums to put netting within 70 feet of home plate, which would extend it past the dugouts. Interesting. Um, How high? I would like, assume like covering. Wow. So, I mean, if you're sitting in the, essentially in the infield, you're going to be behind nets. I mean, this is just recommendation. It's not mandatory. Yeah, I wonder if this is kind of a Major League Baseball of CYA type thing to say, hey, well, we're recommending been, you do this. Well, there's definitely been some issues, especially at like some of the older stadiums like Fenway where the stands are two feet from the field. Yeah, I remember that one girl got hit like square between the eyes. You know what my recommendation ball. is? It's crazy. Pay attention to the game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People Get are more concerned with Instagramming pictures of themselves eating a hot dog than they are watching the actual game. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's – it's really hard to. I mean, I understand player safety is obviously on the on the forefront for all major league owners. At the same time, you know, if you're paying for those seats, you know, you're you're paying good money to be in those seats, and I don't know if you want that net there. To tell you the truth, I mean, I, I feel like you're 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 there for a reason. You know, if you if you're if you're worried about it, pay attention, move. I certainly don't up. want the nets there. If I'm sitting behind the dugout, or obviously you need it behind home plate. That's stupid. But if you're right. sitting behind the dugout, you I don't want the net there. Yeah, I wouldn't as a fan, personally. Uh, so, no, I, I agree with that. You also I mean, you're lose seeing... some of the interaction with the players running off the field, throwing balls at them, and all that kind of stuff. There's just so many fluke things that happen. I mean, it's amazing how this stuff doesn't happen more often, and there's more serious injuries. Yeah. It's just now now in this in this day and age with all the, the amount of media that's out there, when something does happen, it just gets put on the forefront even more, and that's why these rules come about. So. Baseball's 100 years old. I mean, right. <laughs> oh. It wasn't, been, and, and, it wasn't a problem. And we're problem sitting before. further away now than we used to be. Yeah, it wasn't a problem 20 years ago. It was it? It wasn't an epidemic, I guess, like they're treating it is now. Well, there wasn't social media to create an epidemic and make epidemics. The internet is ruining our society, Scott. It, it is. Ruining our society. Too many I think many Fenway announced that they're going to do the, the 70 feet thing. Okay. So I know that. I don't think Yan- the Yankees have said anything. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how many teams actually do it. The um, the what are those? What do the Yankees fans call those seats right right behind the dugout and everything with the with the moat protecting them? What was the nickname they had for those seats? The nickname for the seats? Yeah, didn't they call them something when the when the stadium first opened? Because you know how they have like essentially a a separate walkway separating those really good box. You're talking about the legend. You're talking about the legend well, seats. The legend seats. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was something else. Whatever. Oh, I can tweet it out later. I'll find it. It was sort of like a, a funny funny thing they were calling him. Anyway, before we get Corey on with us to talk about the Castro trade, and we'll really get his perspective on what type of player Starling Castro is, let's talk about what this means for some of the other players on the Yankees. Mentioned it at the start of the episode. Your boy Ref Snyder is now not the second baseman. It, 
Definitely not. Castro is the second baseman next year, no questions asked. So, the question is, what do the Yankees do with Ref Snyder, and what do they do with Ackley? So, Ackley has a role, even with Castro there. I think Ackley was more... The, the reason they were talking about platooning Ackley and Ref Snyder is because they didn't fully trust Ref Snyder. So now that they have a second baseman that they do fully trust, that they're obviously invested in, they they have more of a clear role for Ackley now, and that's going to be a super utility guy. And I think that fits him beautifully. I think it's a great position for him. I think he's he's actually probably one of those one of the better players for that for that spot. I mean, this is what I thought Stephen Drew could have been last year. I mean, we would have put up with the, you know his production as a super utility guy, not as a starting uh, everyday player. So, what does this mean for Ref Snyder? Well, right now Ref Snyder's the the starting second baseman for Scranton Wilkesbury. <laughs> yep. That's what he is, and he's organizational depth. But is he too? Is he a, a player that is just going to be sitting down there for no reason? Because I don't know when he's going to ever play, unless there's an injury. You know, there's 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 no there's no hope for him. I mean, he's pretty much blocked unless he changes positions. And you know, I know he was an outfielder in in um, in college, and you know, I don't see them putting him anywhere else in the infield. They don't even have faith in him at second. So the and outfield they, is they very don't crowded have a position for prospects anywhere yeah. else. I yeah, mean, so, Headley's there for three more years. Obviously, you got Didi and Castro. So so my he's going to get packaged and get traded that's that's how i that, that's to me his value of the team right now best case scenario for the yankees and ref snyder actually is for him to rake in spring training and then they trade him that would be a terrific one if he's on the team at that point i i'm still very hesitant i don't think he's going to be on the team i think cashman well, is going you mean to be they're going to trade him before then yes he has no value right now well no that's not true because he came up at the end of the year and proved to be uh, proved to be a commodity. I think he did. He handled himself extremely well in the major leagues that last month. I think he did very well. So I do think he has value. Well, he doesn't have value because the Yankees are are he's devalued because of the Yankee situation. If that's what you're saying, yeah, I understand that. But as yeah, a player, he still has value. If you're another team, you're saying, well, we know you're not going to play him. He's either going to be playing for your AAA team, or you can trade him to us for what we want. But that's to give fine. Him. So then, that's then they'll put him on the AAA roster. Then, but teams know that. They're, I don't think that's going to be a big stumbling block. I think if somebody needs uh, is in the need for a second baseman that can hit, I mean, that's a guy you can look at for sure who has major league experience, who proves that he can hit on the major league level, and has upside. So I think he's extremely – I think he's a valuable and I think he's an attractive player. I suppose. Just yeah. I, we just – you know, we just don't have a spot for him anymore. Um, hey, at least the Yankees got young there. I mean, that was the big thing, right? Castro's going to be 26 at the start of next year. Didi's going to be 26 as well. That's the youngest middle infield the Yankees have had since I've been alive. I love it. I love it. Let's let's get these guys gelling together. Um, I think it's going to be exciting watching them. And, you know, I, honestly, we're going to talk more about this trade. But I, I, some people I've heard don't like the trade, which is crazy to me. <clears throat> like, I, I couldn't believe it. Francesca is not a big fan of the trade, which I don't understand. What's, I think, I, so I didn't hear what he said. What, what was his reason? He's not a big fan of the of the player. He doesn't. He's not a big fan of Castro. You know, he he doesn't think it's that great of a pull. Um, I see a a young guy who now is moving to a different team, has all the incentive in the world to do well on a new team, has a major upside. I mean, the second half of last year, he batted I think what three fifty six or three fifty something uh, at the at the second half last year when he made that move to second base. This dude can rake. He's young. He can steal bases. He can play defense. He's a three-time All-Star, and he's 25 years old. How can you not be excited for that for an Adam Warren who the Yankees truly believe they have uh, you know, a couple guys that could, that could slot right into that role? 
So Warren I think was, it was definitely a projected to be in the rotation next year, or at least a big part of the team in some capacity next year. But that's a yeah. trade you make ten out of ten times. Um, if you look at the, the rotation, otherwise now you got the the guys we all know about: Tanaka, Pineda, Severino, Ivaldi, Nova, and CC. That's six starters, five spots. They're going to need at least one more, I think. Maybe you get one of the guys from the Wilson trade. Maybe you have a Brian Mitchell or somebody like that. But if you're talking about trading a uh, a swingman, which is what Warren was, a very good swingman, but a swingman right. for a starting second baseman who's played almost 900 games in his career, and he's not even 26 years old, you do that every time. I don't get if people are not on board with this trade. Yeah. I'm, hey, I'm on the same page. I, I love the move. I think... I think uh, Brian Cashman made a uh, he, he struck at the exact right time and, and made a great move. So cool. All right. Well, it's about time we uh, get Corey on here and find out more about Castro. Um, so guys, stay tuned for that. IVNB. Um, Corey, are you sad to hear Castro's walk-up music go? We just played that on the transition to this part of the podcast. Are you sad to see that go? I am. I loved it. It was so it was it was so awesome to go into Wrigley Field and hear I mean normally walk-up music is there in the background. Nobody really pays attention, but his walk-up music had everyone in the crowd clapping um and just having fun and it really kind of was like a symbol of what the 2015 season was for the Cubs. You know, I've talked about last time I was on your podcast, I talked about how, how much fun this season was and it's just a really fun song. And it was really cool too, because uh, this was not 2015 was not um, at least the first half was not a good season for Castro. And a lot of fans were kind of down on him. I'm sure he was down on himself. And so even throughout that, it, it almost kind of felt like it was, as a fan, your way of like in the in the stadium showing your support for him and encouraging him through this walk up music that just had everybody dancing and clapping along. I really hope that that he takes it to to Yankee Stadium. And I also hope that uh, someone on the 2016 Cubs decides to adopt it as their song. So you mentioned about how Castro had a pretty bad first half of the year um, and really kind of resurrected his time with the Cubs because he was out of a job, right? Yeah, so Addison Russell had uh, been called up earlier in the season and had been playing some second base. Um, and he, he is, you know, in, in, at the time, it was obvious he's the shortstop of the future. And it was um, just a matter of how was Castro going to fit into everything. And Castro was just, you know, honestly just terrible at the plate in the first half of the season. Um, just looked out of sync and and was really struggling. And... Um, and so, yeah, he got benched and, and lost his job. They moved Addison Russell over there. And uh, Joe Madden was real clear when he got benched that this was not a temporary thing. And that it, it was it was a benching. It wasn't days off. It was a benching. Um, and and uh, Castro really turned things around. I mean, all the reports of how much he was working with um, the coaching staff during that time to try to uh, – yeah, figure figure out what was wrong at the plate and, and get his swing back, and um, he did that. And then um, they, I think they kind of planned on using him in, in like a utility role at second base, but you couldn't really keep him out of the lineup in the last couple months of the season. I mean, he was incredible. He was the best hitter in baseball the second half of, or in the last two months of the season. 
Um, and so it was really, it was really good to see uh, his time with the Cubs end in that way, rather than there was a lot of pressure for the Cubs to move him um, at the trade deadline. You know, fans, I think that's what a lot of fans wanted to see him uh, sent on his way. But um, it was as I am a Castro supporter. I like him a lot. And so I was really happy to see him turn things around and end things on a positive note. Kind of it was good for the Cubs because he kind of built some uh, value in that second half of the season, too. And um, I, I don't I I think you guys are going to like him a lot I, or, or well, he's very like polarizing fans either love him or hate him. There's not really much in between. So and I think. That'll probably carry over. I have done some reading about how he can make some boneheaded plays sometimes, and it's sort of Starlin being Starlin, sort of like Manny being Manny with the Red Sox. Um, But uh, he is talented, and you got to respect a guy for getting benched and then coming back and not just moping around and pouting for the rest of the season. Because the guy's only 25 years old. I mean, his career is still young. So for for him to bounce back and work his way back onto the field says a lot about him as a player and as a person. Right. Yeah. Because I think he really could have probably divided that clubhouse. Um, and, and he didn't, I mean, every, every report that you read, all the stuff from Joe Madden and, um, any, any of the beat reporters and everything say that, um, he knew that it was his role to, to be a good team leader. And this was his opportunity to do it. Um, you know, kind of in a time of, at a time of adversity, um, and I, I think it's really admirable and yeah, especially for a player that young, I mean, and that's part of what, um, I think a lot of Cubs fans enjoyed was that he, he was just, he literally was a kid when he got called up, he was 20 years old. Um, and, uh, just, it, he was a kid and we got to see him grow up and, or kind of, I, I don't know if he's a grown up yet. He's working on it, I think, <laughs> but, um, we got to see him grow up and really change, you know, who he was as a player and make adjustments and do all those things. The Cubs called him up way too early. And um, I, I think part of the reason that he was called up was that Jim Hendry, uh, who was our GM at the time, now he works for your Yankees. Um, he was uh, kind of fighting for his job, I think. And it was kind of a last ditch effort to bring a little bit of life to the team and show that there was something in the minors, which he was about all there was in the minors and so he he completely skipped AAA. He came up um, after, and I don't even, if I remember right, he wasn't in AA that long, um, and uh, came up and really got called up too early. And it kind of, I think it was a disservice to him because he probably had a lot more um, growing to do in the minor leagues. But he made those adjustments on the fly and did it in the majors. And it, it's, it seems like he's been around a long time. It seems like he's been part of the Cubs forever. And it's it's crazy to think that he's only 25. Now, I know that the Yankees were actually looking at Castro at the trade deadline last year as well. I mean, you were talking about how a lot of Cubs fans were looking for them to turn Castro into another player at that point. But, you know, at that point, his value was probably at the lowest in his career. And the fact that he turned it around and the Yankees came back to talk to them, um, I know from what everybody is talking about and the rumors about how the trade talks went down was the Cubs were looking for we're asking for Brett Gardner and Cashman said, you know, said, no, we're not giving Gardner up. And then it turned out to be the uh, the deal with um, with basically Adam Waring being being the the headliner in that trade. So it's it's interesting that he came back, but it seems like it was very good timing on Cashman's part because 
one, you guys really didn't have a spot for him any longer with, with Zobris now coming in. I mean, it happened back to back. So is that kind of your feeling like the timing was just perfect and, and the, the, the stars, no pun intended, kind of aligned for this trade? Yeah, I, I think that um, the Cubs weren't going to make that deal unless they had Zobrist. And right. I, I think it was uh, both things relied on each other. They were if, if they couldn't trade Castro, they weren't going to take Zobrist. And if they couldn't uh, take Zobrist, they weren't going to trade Castro. And it worked out well. And who knows? I kind of wonder if Jim Hendry, who didn't have something to do with it, who who drafted him and, and called him up and everything. Um, obviously, uh, he likes him. But um, I, I'm, I'm just fine with, with the trade itself. I think that the biggest part of that was the Cubs needed um, some uh, payroll flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw the result a couple days later by them <laughs> signing Jason Hayward. And I think that that, that deal probably wouldn't have happened um, if they weren't able to, to free up some of uh, the payroll from, from Castro too. Oh, you look at what the Cubs did, especially in the last few days with Zobris, Hayward, and Warren. It addresses three glaring weaknesses that they had, especially in that uh, NLCS against the Mets, where they struggled to put the bat on the ball, which both Hayward and Zobrist are good at. They struggled to play defense, which Hayward and Zobrist are both good at. And they right. didn't really have much starting depth, which is what Warren could be. Right, yeah, and not only Warren, but they also picked up John Lackey, who... Oh, right, right. totally, I forgot about Lackey that they signed him, yeah. Right, so granted, he's 37 years old, but he is the... Uh, the Cardinals were a 100-win team, and he was their number one starter in the playoffs, and so I think that tells you he's still got quite a bit left. Um, and, and as a Cubs fan, this has been an incredible offseason. Not only did we knock the Cardinals out of the playoffs, but we just took their best pitcher and their best position player. <laughs> And and both of those players came to the Cubs for less money than what the Cardinals were offering. So it's it's there's a, there's a lot of uh, celebrating going on in Illinois right now. I know Cardinals fans get a reputation for being quote unquote the best fans in baseball, but I saw some stuff they were saying to Hayward on Twitter. I don't think they can claim that anymore. They say that stuff all the time. <laughs> it's kind of bullshit. Yes, I agree. But but, but yeah, I mean, I think that this is a team. This is not a team now where it's. Um, the organizational strength is there. The key pieces are there. And it was just kind of a, the, the, the NLCS against the Mets kind of showed us exactly where the weaknesses were. And you're right. That's exact. Those are the, those are the aspects of the team that they're improving this off season. And it's a huge difference. I mean, I, I don't know exactly. Obviously there's still quite a bit of the off season left. I don't know if their plan is to have Hayward in center field, um, he's probably not as good in center field as he is in in uh, a corner outfield spot, but but he's still good. I mean, he's twenty six. He's still he's still good enough. It's he's only twenty six. Wow, I thought he was older yeah. than that. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's why that contract you don't necessarily feel too bad about because you've got him for pretty much his entire prime. He's another guy who came up very young with yeah. the Braves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, his uh, MLB debut was on opening day against the Cubs, and he single-handedly destroyed. <laughs> Oh, I remember that. he hit a massive three-run shot. Yeah, I remember that too. His first at bat, yeah, um, and yeah, and it, it's a contract too that's got a couple of opt-outs, um, and um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of like front-end loaded, and um, but it, it, he's so young, and and he can play. That, that, that's another great thing about this Cubs team, and especially with bringing over Zobrist, is that Joe Madden likes to be, have a lot of versatility in his lineup. He likes to be able to have guys bat in a lot of different places he likes them to be able to play in the field in a lot of different places we saw that 
the second half of the season, especially and in the playoffs, he got really creative with substitutions and everything. And, um, and both of those players, I think, really play into that. Obviously, he used Zobrist in that capacity in Tampa. So, all right, I want to get back to Castro. Got a few things I want to talk to him. Somebody you've watched him pretty. You've probably watched most of the games he's played in his career. Um, I know he's kind of has a reputation for making a few mental errors in the field. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, he does have that reputation. And Yankee fans are not really particularly. Um, they don't really put up with that. Um, so how do you think he'll react if, if the Yankee fans get on him you know, for, for making a couple of mental errors? I'll tell you, it really seems like he's the kind of guy that just does not it, – it just it just rolls off his back. I don't think – I've never really seen him like um, – he's and that's one thing that a lot of fans have found infuriating about him is that he'll make a mistake and – there are no signs that he's really frustrated with himself and he just kind of still looks like his head's his head is in the clouds his head yeah. he always looks like his head is in the clouds i could see and, why that could piss some people off cuz fans might think oh this guy doesn't care but in reality sounds like robinson cano <laughs> <laughs> but in reality i mean it's just he he's he's you know it's just that's his personality i guess right and i honestly think if that's true and that it doesn't get him down I think you would want that. Who wants somebody playing thing, yeah. tentatively after that or having that in the back of their minds or anything? And another thing about him, too, is that he does make a lot of boneheaded mistakes. But he, he really he pretty much makes them on the routine plays. And then you'll, you'll think, you know, he's so worthless. He can't do he can't field a normal ground ball or, or he makes a mental mistake. I mean, there are times uh, and I hope that you guys don't see this and we haven't seen this in a while. But there were times where his back was to home plate when when the ball was being pitched. I mean, he, I saw he, a couple he, vines of that that people yeah. were tweeting around. But don't, do you think that could be more for the fact that he was playing on a last place team? I think that that's quite possible. I I think, and that's another thing that's really impressive about him is, and, and I guess one thing that makes me sad that that he's not going to get to see. Uh, success with the Cubs or more than he experienced this year is just because, you know, he was there through the worst of it. And he was there when there was nothing else to lean on. Uh, it was him and Anthony Rizzo. And if those two guys didn't do anything in the lineup, you had to wait for their, those two guys next to bats because nothing else was going to happen. And so I, I kind of feel bad. Like he, he suffered through really the worst. I mean, it is the worst stretch in Cubs history. And um, now he's not going to be there to, to, you know, hopefully, uh, when they ultimately win it all or whatever, he's not multiple going World to Series. Is that what you're going to say? Multiple <laughs> World Series titles. I would, yeah, that'd be nice. Well, in <laughs> but, fairness, it's not like he got traded to the Tampa Rays. He did get traded to the Yankees. Right. I don't right. feel and too that, bad for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of worse places that he could have ended up, and um, I, I still think it's. I guess if you had to be traded somewhere, you're going to want to go somewhere where uh, fans are passionate. Good, or, you know, good or bad, they're passionate. And um, and they're there for every game. And so I think that's kind of what he was used to at Wrigley. And I think he'll have those same experiences at Yankee Stadium. So talking a little bit more about his makeup before we get into because I definitely want to hear more about his hitting style and just things like that. But just just talking about his makeup, too. We talked about things that don't bother him or he seems like he can really hold off a lot of the, the negativity and kind of you know brush it off. Uh, what, what, what about his personality? Is he a guy that fans are going to get behind um, that? You know, is he is he outgoing? Is he good with the media? What's he like with the fans and, and kind of his personality in that way? Um, he's not especially outgoing, and and he is not somebody that was typically, um, 
you know, uh, had the media in front of him in the clubhouse or anything. He didn't really hear too much. And part of it was that for the first two or three years, um, he didn't speak English very well. Um, uh-huh. And he was still young. I mean, uh, and so um, now you, the last couple of years, you've kind of seen, uh, seen him interviewed more. Um, and uh, but you're not going to get a lot out of the things that he says. I mean, he just talks in your usual sports cliches and, and everything. Um, and, and so if you're looking for somebody that's like, uh, I guess, kind of a personality, I don't I don't think that's Castro. Okay. Um, so but again, I think that can also be a good thing because uh, he kind of just blends in uh, good or bad. So. I actually read an interesting article after the trade went through that one of his biggest mentors when he was on the Cubs was Alfonso Soriano. And obviously Soriano spent a lot of time with the Yankees. He came up with the Yankees as a very young player who didn't as a second speak, baseman. Who as a second baseman who didn't speak much English. So it sort of seems like he's he's uh, gotten a lot of mentorship from Soriano, which if you're a Yankee fan, is probably making you feel pretty good because Soriano handled New York pretty well. Yeah, I honestly think that's a, probably a pretty good comparison. And in fact, when Castro got called up, um, he lived with Soriano, I think, for that first season. Hmm. Um, and and I think part of it was to kind of keep him out of trouble, maybe, and help him make some better decisions uh, since Soriano was the veteran. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's that's probably a pretty good comparison because when Soriano was with the Cubs, you didn't really hear too much from him. Um, and he, he he was always kind of just there. Um, and doing his job, and that's that's what that's what Castro is. As long as you produce on the field, at least I know with Yankee fans, as long as you're producing on the field, they put up with a lot of stuff. Um, if you're good, bad with the meter, or whatever it is. So, I mean, obviously, stats are. If you're producing on the field with stats, then fans will get behind them. Well, and also this, I mean, not to not to completely just. I think it's actually a, a, a relatively interesting point with the with the music and and what. Corey was saying about how the the stadium kind of got behind him because the music was a lot of fun and it was like their way of supporting him. I honestly think, one, first of all, I hope that Yankee Stadium does something like this and lets a a, a little bit more fun into uh, the stadium with this walk-up music and plays it a little louder and lets the fans get into it Um, because I think that could be a lot of fun and it could be kind of a new, uh, a cool thing at at Yankee Stadium. Um, but you know, it seems like it seems like that's that's actually a, a pretty significant part of of who he is and just kind of a vibe that he sets as a, a good tone. And I think that's exactly what the Yankee Stadium needs. Oh, certainly. I mean, he's he's Dominican born and he's going into the Bronx. I mean, that's yeah. the huge Dominican population in the Bronx, and and a huge population of Yankee fans are Dominican. So I, I actually think it's a really good fit. Um, yeah, I, I oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, and and I think part part. Like what kind of got that whole thing started with his walk-up music is that the team um, got excited. You know, they they were the ones that were like clapping along with it and dancing and everything. And I kind of think that might be what kind of started the fans doing that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think and I, I mean, obviously, uh, as a Cubs fan and a, a fan of Wrigley Field, um, until this year, you know, we didn't have any jumbotrons. We didn't have walk-up music. It was all organ music and everything. And I think that it, it, it really helped fans kind of loosen up because there were a lot of people that were just not interested in walk-up music. They weren't, they were really skeptical of the huge video boards and everything like that. And so, um, we talked on our podcast about how I, Castro's walk-up music and, and everyone embracing it kind of helped, um, ease people into this and and they could see that 
it wasn't just going to be, you know, all the, um, uh, I guess, updates and everything weren't going to be about selling advertisements and all this kind of stuff that really it was kind of like making the, the ballpark a more fun experience for everybody. And what, how does walk-up music ruin a baseball game? You right, know, exactly. the, the, the tradition of a baseball game, it doesn't, you know. People, oh God, I, one thing I hate about um, old-time baseball fans is their inability to go with new trends, whether that's with new um, new player style or or you know the bat flips and all that kind of stuff, um, get with the times, people. It's ex- it's exciting. Well, especially if you want these younger generations to love the game as much as we do, and as the older generations uh, have. And and I think that if you don't make baseball fun, if you make it this old stuffy, you know, old white guy game, then the youth aren't going to be interested in it and the youth aren't going to embrace it. And I think they have to, it has to be fun. Kids have to see baseball as being fun. And I think that that could breathe a lot of life into the game. Yeah. 162 games is a lot of games to, to watch through and through. So if it's not fun, you're not going to be watching. Right. Um, so he moves over to second base. He's came up as a shortstop, played the first five years of his career as a shortstop or whatever it was, five, four or five years. Uh, he moves over to second base, and obviously he handled that well mentally, but how, how did his defense transition over to second base? And the reason I'm asking this is because the Yankees had a, a prospect named Rob Refsnyder who the biggest knock on, on him was defense, and that's why they were not playing him this year. So how is Castro's defense over at second? Well, the, in the short time that we saw him in second base, the last couple months of the season, it was really good. I mean, Castro, although he will make boneheaded mistakes at shortstop, um, at the same time, he had great range and there would be plays that you would think, Oh, there's no way he's going to get to that. There's no way he'll make that throw. And he does it. He's great at the spectacular plays, but, um, it seemed like, you know, and so if you have, if you can cover that much ground and you can play shortstop at that level, then, then you can definitely play second base at that level. And the big concern that a lot of fans had was him making that change in the middle of the season, making that change on the fly and really having to learn an entire an entirely new position, which um, your all the angles are different, and then all of the footwork, you know, with turning a double play and everything. And he, he the one thing about Castro is that I think he is very athletically gifted, and, and he makes everything look pretty easy. And he's just naturally athletic, and he just he has the instincts to just know where to be, know how to you know where to go with the ball and stuff. And I mean, like I said, you will see him make mistakes, but Sometimes he'll just shock you. And I think it's partially that he doesn't really have to think a lot about what he's doing. He just, it's, I guess, muscle memory or whatever they call that. Well, he's, an um, he's an athlete and he's, an athlete. he's still young. So he's got the uh, athleticism to make the plays, even if maybe it doesn't come as second nature yet in his career. Right. And, and I mean, there would be times that same play where the, the same look that you would see from him when he would make a boneheaded mistake is the same look that you would see when he would just do something incredible and that, you know, you're going to remember forever. It's that same look where it's just kind of like no big deal to him and he doesn't really think about it and he kind of moves on and he's ready for the next play unless he has his back turned to the plate. And, and that's <laughs> and that sounds that's good news because, you know, with, with the guy that we have at shortstop, uh, obviously we had a full – his first full year last year year was dd gregorius and you know this is this is it sounds very similar because we've seen him make that that simple play uh you know look look difficult and he'll he'll boot a ground ball that's right to him yet he'll make the spectacular play up the middle or or you know on the uh 
uh, towards third base side. So it sounds like very a very similar type of, of style. Um, so, but what that means for us and Yankee fans, get excited because it sounds like there's a lot of range up the middle, and, and there's not very many balls that are going to be that are going to be going to the outfield. So um, that's exciting for me, and I have these. You know, so young can really just gel together and they have a lot of time to grow together. That that's a lot. That means a lot as a as a second base shortstop combination. So that's exciting to hear. Yeah, I, I his defense. I mean, his defense was good at second base, and and I don't see it. Um, you know, going down anytime soon. I mean, he's he's still got young, fresh legs, and um, I I think you're going to see great defense from him at second base. So a few years ago, he was up in the 180, and then one year he even had 207 hits, I, I'm seeing in 2011. Uh, last couple of years, though, it's come down, and his average has come down a little bit. But I know he's pretty aggressive at the plate. Is that right? Yeah, he is. He doesn't take a lot of walks. Um, and and that's something I think that kind of like flies under the radar, that since he was called up, there's only um, one middle infielder with more hits than Castro, and that's uh, Cano. Um, and, uh, he's on pace for 3000 hits. I mean, he, he, he hits the ball a lot and, um, what he's had, I think two seasons where he batted 300 or higher. Um, and he always talks about how he sees himself as that's the hitter that he sees himself as a a 300 hitter. Um, and his averages kind of jumped around all over the place, but, but don't forget that, um, he has, uh, responded very well to certain coaching. And and this is the one thing that kind of makes me nervous about him going to New York is I, I don't I'm not real familiar with the coaching staff that you have there, but um, if he does not have good coaches working with him, he has some really bad habits that he can fall into. For instance, I mean, if he's struggling at the plate, it, it seems like his instinct is just to pull the ball, and and that's that's he gets too aggressive and he starts trying to pull the ball. And his best hitting is when he's at least open to going, you know, to the opposite field. And and that's what we saw a lot of in the second half was that he would kind of sit back on things a little bit and, and drive it the other way. And so that's I, I'm really just as a Castro fan and somebody that wants to see him succeed and do really well there. That's the one thing that kind of makes me nervous. Well, well, we saw actually, that with with D.D. Gregorius actually last year. I mean, that was one of his big issues. Is he was trying to pull the ball too much when he started using the the entire field. And this was an adjustment that he made. What Andrew month two months into the season we really start started seeing his batting average tick up we started seeing his confidence tick up and now the Yankees have uh, you know one of the the hitting coaches that's coming up is uh, Marcus Timms who is was in the minor league system he's a, a former player but he's been more of a development role and working with a lot of the younger guys and has a great reputation has a has a good has a good relationship from what we hear with a lot of the the younger guys. So they're they're very well could be a good fit uh, as far as you know helping him kind of spray the ball over the field. And I think it's important to note that the Yankees are not going to ask him to go bat third. They're going to probably put him right. seven, eight, nine. or nine uh, at least to start the year. So he's going to be buried in the lineup. He's not going to have all the pressure on him, um, right. w- which he'll be able to just concentrate on, on having good games and good at bats. The one thing though, I I. I hate as a baseball fan, and I hate when players, I don't mind if they're aggressive, but if they're not swinging at good pitches, that's when I get pissed off. So does he have a tendency to expand the strike zone, or, or you know, just because he doesn't take a lot of walks doesn't necessarily mean he, he swings at everything, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, he doesn't have great pitch selection. Um, <laughs> he does definitely expand the strike zone. Um, but But one thing to go along with that, though, is that He's one of those guys that just seems like he's able to make contact kind of wherever the ball is. I mean, I hate to compare him to like 
of Vlad Guerrero because uh, he was kind of the extreme of that. You could roll the ball to him, and he'd he make He was better at a ball that bounced than it was right down the middle. <laughs> yeah. Pete Rose was the same thing. I mean, you could throw the ball anywhere, and he'd hit it. He just These guys are innate hitters. They just they see the ball hit the ball. I, I like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's kind of the way he is. I mean, he definitely he, he's not taking walks because he likes to swing. Um, and, uh, but his strikeout, his strikeout rate isn't, you know, uh, really elevated because he is a contact hitter. He makes a lot of contact, um, and, and he tends to get the ball in play. So that's something that we so desperately need. And not only that, but he, he really helps the the Yankees lineup too, just because he bats from the right side. And the fact that last year we had a predominantly left-handed lineup and when a left-handed starting pitcher came in there, Let's just say, I don't know, Dallas Keuchel, who threw 19 scoreless innings against us last year, including a, in, the, in a play-in game uh, or a one-game one playoff. You know, we really struggled against those left-handed starters, and, and not even just the aces, but we made some of the some of the three and four, you know, guys, uh, three or four tier starters look like Sandy Koufax against us. So, you know, that, that's something that really helped out quite a bit is that he's a, a right-handed guy who makes contact and uh, and wants to be a 300 hitter <laughs> even if he's not all the time at least he wants to be that's exciting yeah you would like to see a player think of themselves as a 300 yeah, exactly i like that i mean he what did he hit 350 350 plus in the second half of the year i mean he was on fire yeah i think the last month i don't have it in front of me but i mean I, the last month i think he hit 407 in awesome. in uh in September. So yeah, he, he definitely um, was hitting the ball. And, and I hope that that continues. Obviously he's not going to be a 400 hitter, but I, I hope that at least, um, you know, he, he's able to, to make the, the same adjustments or continue those and to be able to, um, you know, have the, put the same swing on the ball and everything is, is what he was doing um, and responding well to coaching. So, and that's, that's batting 400 at the end of the season in the middle of a playoff rate in the uh, playoff hunt. So these are all big games, especially the way that the NL central was shaking out and that the way everything was going on, these are all big games. And, and him, by him stepping up after the demotion that he had um, and then really stepping up with the bat, you know, over at second base uh, in a playoff hunt is to me very positive. So I'm liking everything you're saying and I'm very excited about him now. Yeah, and and a lot of Cubs fans that didn't like him wanted to see him traded at the at the trade deadline. I mean, I think as a whole, I mean, a lot of Cubs fans really kind of changed their opinions on him just because of what we saw him do. I mean, 2015 had to have been a really rough season for him. I mean, it would be tough to see another 20-year-old in Addison Russell come up and take your job when that you've had for five or six seasons. Um, and, and the fact that, that he stepped up to a challenge um, – and and tried to earn his way back and to earn things. I mean, that's a lot better than, like I said, I think he really probably could have divided that clubhouse if he wanted to. I'm not sure how many guys he has in his pocket, but, you know, I mean, just that um, it could have been a lot uglier, and it was really, um, I thought it was really cool to see him react the way that he did. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is how the Cubs fans' reaction have been to the trade. Um, are they happy with what they got in return for Castro? Are they sad to see him go? Or is it like, in Theo, we trust? What's the atmosphere over in Chicago? I think it's a, it's a little bit of all those things. I mean, I think even the when it happened, I realized, like, my first thought was, okay, something, something else is happening here. Like, this isn't really a trade that... Um, Obviously, the Cubs have a lot of infield depth right now, and they don't have enough places for everybody. But Castro wasn't—I mean, he had a—he he had a really team-friendly deal, um, and uh, 
didn't seem like the Cubs would just kind of throw him away for no reason. And so as soon as that happened, I thought, okay, something bigger is good. Like they're putting money toward, I mean, obviously you had to think, okay, they're putting money towards Hayward. That's what's going on here. Um, and so I think a lot of people looked at on paper, looked at Castro for Warren and were disappointed in that where um, I, I think most people realized, you know, this front office, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, they, they are much uh, smarter than me. <laughs> and yeah. they, I think a lot of Cubs fans have that, like, we're just going to trust those guys because they clearly know what they're doing. They're clearly smarter than we are. But I mean, you know, you know how fans are. You still get the people that are. It, and, and what was funny is I think a lot of the people that were like furious about this trade were the same people that were hating on Castro at the trade deadline and desperately in, in criticizing the front office for not getting rid of him. So, but a lot of, but as you said, a lot of people grew up, I mean, he grew up as a cub, so he's right. sort of a home, a home guy. He's their guy. It's sad to see a guy like that go. Oh yeah. And I mean, even the people, you know, like myself, I, I'm, I'm in favor of the trade. I think it's a good thing. And it's probably a good thing for both teams, but it is, I, I think it's a great it, trade for both teams. Yeah. I, but I, again, like that, when it happened, I was actually at, it's kind of funny because on the way there, you know, uh, or I'm sorry, on the way to, uh, my daughter had a, um, holiday, uh, I don't know, whatever you call it <laughs> at the school, you know, performance thing. Yeah. Uh, and so we're driving there and all, you know, that you could kind of tell something was about to happen. And so we were talk- talking about on the way there and then, uh, she performed up on stage and everything. And then I went and got her afterwards. And the first thing she comes up and she said, did they take trade Castro? <laughs> I was like, yeah, they did. <laughs> and She's like, oh, man, that sucks. I was like, yeah, it does. I mean, even the people that were in favor of the trade, that trust Theo and Jed, that they know what they're doing. I mean, yeah, you still were sad because it was like he was our guy, you know, for better or for worse. He was our guy. And, um, you know, there was a lot on Twitter, a lot of people uh, posting their favorite videos of him and the stuff that he's done and some of the things that were kind of head scratching and then things that were humorous. And so it was just kind of a night where Cubs fans on social media we're just kind of like, I don't know, in a way it kind of felt like we were just like mourning the loss of a friend or something. At this point, I don't think Cubs fans have the uh, the patience or the time to say, okay, that was our guy and be, and, and cry over spilled milk. You guys got to win now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you guys have a team to win now. And I feel like the that the front office realizes that and they went for it by adding – the, the complimentary pieces, the depth pieces that they needed to to really compete, I think, I mean, immediately. So I, I think it was a terrific move for you guys. Adam Warren is, one, a, a good starting pitcher. He's going to add a lot of, uh, you know, just stability to the back end of your rotation. And if he, if he's used as a starting uh, starting pitcher. But at the same time, I mean, you know, him out of the bullpen – is is something that he's he's had a lot of success doing that and he's a he's a guy that we trusted for you know for a long time being being that guy being the the guy that the, the old reliable to go in there and you know close out an inning or if he's starting he's going to get five quality six quality innings so he's he's a really good teammate and he's going to definitely make your team better all right good stuff Corey. we appreciate you coming on giving us some insight insight into castro and um you know scott any last words before we wrap this up no, I just appreciate it. And, you know, having you guys on and, and just talking about the Cubs, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for you guys in the National League. Uh, I said that last time, but it'd be fun to have a, uh, a New York Chicago World Series and maybe we get Castro back in Wrigley for a World Series. That'd be fun. I'll tell you, I think they'll play his walk up music. If, if you guys, if we play in the World Series, I think that they'll play his walk up music for him and uh, it will be a lot of fun. And, and I think for any Yankees fans listening that aren't sure about uh, Castro or whatever, I mean, there's some great gifts out there. 
um, to watch to really kind of like see why a lot of Cubs fans have mixed emotions about this, that it's better for the team, but that we'll miss them. I mean, there was, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was the play um, this year. It was in May where uh, there was the ground ball hit to Chris Bryant, who was playing third and kind of crossed in front of Rizzo or in front of uh, Castro and Castro mirrored him, like acted like he was fielding the ground ball and did the same footwork and like faked a throw to first base. Uh, it's, it's pretty hysterical. Um, and it's the little things like uh, when he's in the on-deck circle or, or when he's in the batter's box and if the catcher goes out to talk to the pitcher, he'll do things like um, spit sunflower seeds in the air and try to hit him with his bat. I mean, it's just, it's that, like, those things that make him seem like a kid. That, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's and not, it's not, it's not taking it like, too seriously, and that's what you have to do. It, it, it is a kid's game at the end of the day. Granted, they're being, being paid a lot of money to do it, but... It's a kid's game meant to, be, meant to be fun. And if you're not having fun, it's you're not going to be performing as well. So I love that. Yeah, I think you guys are going to enjoy him. And I don't know, take care of him for us, okay? <laughs> we will. All right, so you can catch Corey at IVNV. Definitely check out his Twitter and uh, podcast and website. So, Corey, again, thank you. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.